The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Amen. Well, hello, church. Hey, uh, you should get your calendars out right now if you have your uh, smartphones in front of you or you want to just take a note of this date, uh, April, the weekend of April 14th, 15th, uh, 2018. We like to, hey, what are you laughing at? We like to plan in advance here. We just have done some planning this spring in advance of uh, ministry that's ahead of us. And uh, that weekend is the weekend when we're going to finish uh, the Gospel of Luke series. <laughs> The thing is, you're laughing because you think I'm joking, but I'm not. Uh, the Lord willing, I have planned it all out. And of course, we're not, we're not doing like 52 Sundays in Luke every year. We did, um, I think we did 16 last year. We're doing 27. This is the heavy lifting year this year. And I think we're doing like 18 and 19 the next two years. And then in the last year, the fifth year of this, we're going to do 16 messages. And it's all lined up. Of course, the end of Luke's gospel is the passion narrative. And I've lined it up around Easter, so as reasonably as can be planned, uh, that's when we're going to do that. And, um, and so 96 messages total over five years is what the series uh, looks like. And um, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking on the weekend of April 14, 15, 2018, we're bringing out the confetti cannons. That's what I'm thinking, right? Yeah, that's what it's going to look like. And so um, uh, praise the Lord for that. But uh, no confetti cannons this morning because we're not there yet. Uh, this is message uh, 38 of 96, and um, are you ready to get to it? Great. Uh, this is Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. This is the feeding of the 5,000. And um, I don't know if you thought a lot about it as you read through the gospel accounts, but like, what's the deal? What's the deal with the feeding of the 5,000? I mean, what's the point of having this account in the scriptures. I mean, you think, is it, is it simply about meeting the needs of people? And some people are, are thinking, some ministries think that it's all about the people and minister to the needs of the people. And um, do you think that the story is just about the people and meeting the needs of the people? Or, or we saw last week that Jesus sent the 12 apostles out on a, their first mission, like an internship, they were going out to kind of test out a few things and see how they did. And maybe we think that the feeding of the 5,000 and the miracle that happens here is really about their further training. Or do, you think it's, uh, do you think it's about that or is it about, is it about something else? And I think it's a good question for us as we gather here today because we might ask the very same questions of our gathering. And here we are again, another week. Uh, 14 years into doing this ministry, and we've come here weekend after weekend to do this. Our plan is to keep doing this until Jesus comes back. But could we stop and ask a few questions similar to the ones that we would ask about the feeding of the 5,000? What's it about? Uh, why are we here? Is, is it simply about the needs of the people, for example? Are we just here to feed people spiritually? Um, or... Or, or is it about kind of perpetuating the ministry, like the training of the apostles? Is it just like, hey, we have a church and we got to keep 
doing church and, and, and that's what we're supposed to be doing, so we do it, but it doesn't really amount to much more than a club or something social to do. Is it really about that or is it about, is it about something else? I mean, last week in the message, in, again in Luke 9, verse 9, in fact, uh, Herod the Tetrarch, the leader over that area of the world, he heard about everything that was going on and he asked a question. It was this question in verse 9. Uh, who is this about whom I hear such things? Who is this? He'd been hearing all the things that Jesus had been doing. Then he heard all the things that Jesus' apostles were doing. And he's like, who is this guy? About whom I hear all of these things. And, and next week, so that was last week's passage. And in next week's passage, Jesus actually is going to be with the 12. And he's going to ask them a couple of questions. In fact, he's going to ask them this question. Uh, who do people say that I am? And then he's going to say to them, who do you say that I am? Now, now here's Herod asking the question, who is Jesus? Here's Jesus asking the apostles the question, who am I? Who do you think I am? Who do the people think I am? And sandwiched in between is the feeding of the 5,000. Now listen, I hope that when you're reading the Bible and you see this kind of thing going on, that you go, huh, there's got to be something to this. Herod asked the question, Jesus asked the question, and here's the feeding. It's not random. The feeding of the 5,000 isn't about your needs or mine. Getting together for church, not about your needs or mine. It's not about perpetuating an institution. It's not about training leaders. It's not about those things at all. The feeding of the 5,000 is about answering the question, who is Jesus Christ? And the reason why we're here today is the very same thing. We're here to answer the question. Who is Jesus Christ? And, and as a consequence, when we answer that question, this is, what are the implications? What's that going to mean for me uh, today? And so we're going to preach Jesus Christ today. I'm going to read uh, the passage here. This is Luke 9, 10 through 17. Um, and then I'll pray. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him, Jesus, all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds, lear crowds learned it, uh, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we're here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we, um, we've come here today, at least I hope we've all come here today, um, with a right motive to see a Jesus Christ. There's no one else for us, no other name given among men by whom we can be saved. 
Father, that he is our king, he is our Lord, and all that we're doing here today is for him and because of him and for his glory. And so God, help us in these moments uh, to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ as we get your word open in front of us now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen? All right, what must we, this is a big question, what must, uh, what must you do with who he is? What must you do uh, with who he is? Um, because of who Jesus is, you have to, first of all, be on mission. You have to be on mission. You see, the feeding takes place because Jesus was on mission. The feeding takes place because the 12, his apostles, the disciples, were on mission with him. And the disciples got to see this amazing thing that happened because they were on mission together. Now, if, you're, um, if you're not here, well, it's kind of silly to talk to someone who's not here, but if you're not here, and you are, so that's good. But if you're not here, you're always going to miss the thing that God is doing 100% of the time. And so it's so important that we understand uh, from the outset of what we're talking here that proximity to Jesus and being on mission with him makes all the difference in our lives. You don't want to miss the great things that God is doing. And in verse 10, the apostles had just gotten back from this training mission, again, that we looked at in last week's passage. Jesus It says here that they came back and they reported to Jesus all that they had done. And he took them and he withdrew apart. He withdrew with them apart to a town called Bethsaida. Obviously, they were kind of outside of the town because the disciples say they were out in a desolate place later on. And uh, this, the point of this really is Jesus wants to debrief on their mission and get some R&R with them. They just need some time to rest. And that too, by the way, is part of the mission. Rest is a good thing. The point is that, again, they were close to Jesus. They stayed close to Jesus. They were on mission with Jesus Christ. They were engaged in the things that Jesus was engaged in, and therefore they got to see Jesus do some pretty amazing things. And so verse 11 says, the crowds find out where they are. And they're so enamored with Jesus, so amazed by all the things that he is saying, all the things that he is doing, that they then make their way out to this desolate place. That's verse 11. The crowds learned it. They followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And so he went and taught again. Um, He's tired. They're tired. This is supposed to be some resting time for them. Uh, But still, uh, he teaches and he heals. You see the care and concern for people flowing out of who he is. And the apostles, again, got to see it. They got to see it all. Now, the best way to see what Jesus is doing is to be fully engaged in the life of the church of Jesus Christ. We know from the scriptures for sure that Jesus loves the church. Amen? We know that? Jesus loves the church. With all of its failings, with all of its imperfect people, Jesus loves the church. And we ought to love the church. And we ought to be engaged in the life of the church to the fullest extent that we can possibly bring to the table. How do we do that? Well, we have to worship Christ together. And again, it's great that you're here this morning. 
uh, because then you get to hear this and know that you did well this morning. But for some of you, the pattern of being in worship is not that regular or you've redefined regular as not every week. And on all the weeks that you miss, I'm just telling you, you're going to miss something going on where Jesus is at work. And so to the extent that I'm not talking about not taking vacation or sometimes I have to work or we're visiting family, uh, but, but when you're able, you should be here and not miss the worship of Christ uh, together. And by worshiping Christ, of course, I'm encouraging you first to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and have you uh, given your heart to him, given your life to follow him. That's the first step in being a worshiper. Then committing to regular uh, patterns of being with God's people for corporate worship and identifying with the church fully. And that's one of the best ways to not miss what God is doing. And a second one is just to walk with Christ in personal disciplines and be in a small group. So you want to be in the word yourself. You want to be praying. And as you're doing that, God's going to place you in in situations where he's going to be growing you and doing a deep work in your life. And then beyond that, I'm with a group of people, 10 or 12 people, and I'm in a home every week and we're getting to know one another and we're studying the word of God together and we're praying together and we're doing life together. And when you're doing that kind of thing, you're going to see God at work and you're going to be on mission and you're going to get to see awesome things because you're in that small group situation. And then to work for Christ by finding a place of ministry and being on a team and serving shoulder to shoulder with other people. I think about all the people that are required. I just said thank you to Jeannie a few minutes ago just to know that there, there are like 100, 200 volunteers that work, 200 people who give their time to be involved in Harvest Kids. The number of people that Kareen has to, has to have on her teams to really, for Kareen, it's everybody from the parking lot all the way through to everything that happens in the lobby. All the small group leaders and all the apprentices, all the people, I don't even know how many people work in Awana, or Jeannie was telling me again uh, this week with High Five coming up for just one week, for just one week of camp, 140 adults and teenagers required to give leadership. And to help support that. And where are you serving? Where are you engaged? Working together with someone for the mission. We have to get close to his people. We have to be involved in the church. We have to get close to Jesus and be on mission. That's what we must do with who he is. And when you do that, you're going to see, when you get that close to people and to Jesus, you're going to start to see the needs around you. See that? You're going to see the needs just as these apostles saw the needs. I mean, the apostles get a bad rap throughout the scriptures because very often they miss the point. But then we ought to commend them where we can commend them, don't you think? We ought to give them a pat on the back whenever we see them do a good thing, true? Do you want a pat on the back sometimes for for some of the good things that, that you do? So let's pat them on the back for at least seeing the need. They recognized that there were a lot of people who were going to be hungry and who weren't going to have a place to stay that night. It's not that they were heartless or unaware. Verse 12, the the day began to wear away. Night is coming. The 12 came, said to Jesus, send the crowd away into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging, get provisions. We're here in a desolate place. I mean, they were in a place. It's not like they could order in. Okay? Because they were in a desolate place, obviously cell phone reception, poor, right? Takeout, do they even deliver out to the country? I don't know. I've always lived in the city. I don't even know if you can get a pizza out in the country. 
Clearly, they were in a bad place where they weren't going to be able to have their needs met. But these disciples, at least, at least we can commend them. They saw the need. Even if they thought nothing could be done about it, they at least saw the need. I hope it isn't hard for you to see the needs that are around you. I hope you perceive that there are needs in everyone's life. Nobody is exempt from having some come deep needs that really only Jesus can meet. But, but very often as the, uh, as the hands and feet of Jesus, we can come alongside people and help them in his name. I hope you see physical needs around you. Not just in the church, but in the community at large. People are hungry. People need housing. Young women are pregnant and alone. People need clothing. Lots of physical needs that, be, that can be met. And I hope, again, all at the very least, we're not talking about meeting the needs right now. All we're talking about is, do you recognize the needs are there? Or how about emotional needs? Maybe people are lonely. People struggle with, with mental illness, with depression. It's a harsh reality. So many grieving. Do we recognize that the people around us or are we kind of like, I, I don't want to be reminded. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. I've got my own thing. I just hope it's not us. And every single person, of course, has a spiritual need to know who God is. And to know that they can have a relationship with him. I was reading in Isaiah this week. This is a passage, I, I was reminded of it because I, I came across it in Isaiah and then I was reminded that we actually studied it earlier this year in Luke's Gospel chapter 4. In fact, you can just turn back there. Luke four eighteen and 19. So what happened is Isaiah prophesied this um, six, seven hundred years before Jesus ever came. It's in the Isaiah scroll, part of the Old Testament. Then Jesus um, begins his ministry, and, and, and among the first things he does is he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue, and the rabbi lays out for him, as was the custom, uh, Jesus comes in, into town, and so they give him the opportunity to read that day in the synagogue, and the passage that they roll out for him, coincidentally, coincidentally, the passage that's rolled out for him from the scroll to read on the lectern is, is this passage from Isaiah 61. And Jesus reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everybody was looking at him and he declared that the scriptures were fulfilled in their presence that day. This was going to be his message. This, in essence, in fulfillment of the prophecy Isaiah, Jesus now becomes, this becomes his mission. And as Jesus gathers the 12 around him, and by extension gathers us as his followers, listen, this becomes our mission. 
that's filled with compassion and love for people in a holistic way, not just concerned that they hear the gospel, though that is certainly the most important part, but being concerned for people's actual needs, the physical needs they had, the emotional needs that they have, coming alongside them and loving them in Jesus' name. I hope we see the needs. And I wonder how well you are at, you're doing it at, the, at this. How well are you doing at recognizing the needs around you? I mean, I just think there's so many examples I could go through, but I want to return to one that we talked about just a few months ago. Because it's a question that's not going away in our culture. It is dominating the cultural discussion. People like us who believe the word of God or are involved in churches like this tend to be part of the flashpoint for issues surrounding this question. This past week was Pride Week in Barrie. I don't know if you came across any of the activities or not in your travels around the city. And no matter what you believe concerning the same-sex question, uh, the fact remains, the fact remains, no matter what you believe, compassion and love for others is not an option if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Compassion and love are not an option if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And too many, listen to this now, too many who identify as Christians have demonstrated zero love towards those who identify as same-sex attracted or LGBT. You identify as Christians. But you fail to demonstrate love and compassion. You fail to see the need. Disagreement. Disagreement never justifies hate. We have to see the need. And what we often see on the outside betrays deep needs on the inside. Our hope is not to change the moral fabric of a person. We go at it backwards if that's the way we're trying to go. I need to change you. I don't like that about you. You need to stop doing that is completely the wrong approach to leading people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We must show compassion and love. And when we do, we have an opportunity to get at those deeper needs, to have a conversation because we've demonstrated the love of Christ and not hate. We do this because it's a reflection of who Jesus Christ is and how, listen, how he is with us. You may be offended by one particular sin that people might commit against you or you think it's committed against you. But listen, every single sin you commit is an offense to God. It doesn't matter what it is. And yet he pours out mercy and compassion on us. Read an article this week in Christianity Today. Mark Yarhouse wrote an article, Understanding the Transgender Phenomenon. He said a couple of things there that I think are pretty amazing for us to think about. Christians are to foster the kinds of relationships that will help us know and love and obey Jesus better than we did yesterday. That is redemption. 
And later in the article, he said, certainly we can extend to a transgender person the grace and mercy we so readily count on in our own lives. Think, and then say amen if you agree. See the need. They're all around us. See the need. And all Jesus asks is now, because it could be overwhelming, because the needs are overwhelming, are they not? The needs are overwhelming. And you can just go, I can't meet all the needs. And you don't have to. You see? Because next we're going to look at this. All Jesus asks is that you bring what you have. Just bring what you have. The apostles assume, by the way, assumptions are the worst, correct? Assumptions are the worst. Never assume, always ask. And uh, the apostles assume that nothing can be done. And thus they go to Jesus and say, hey, let's just send the people away. Because they see no other option. And rationally speaking, there really isn't. 5,000 men. They didn't count the women and children. We don't know how many people. there were. We call it the feeding of the 5,000. But it was the feeding of the 5,000 plus. All right? That's really what the story is. And they're in the middle of nowhere. But Jesus had a point that he wanted to make to bring us all along to a place where we understand more about who he is and we can then be more engaged in the mission that he is on. Now, even though these apostles who are coming to him saying, send the people away, they had seen, what had they seen already? Up to this point, just in Luke 9, they had already seen multiple healings. They had seen exorcisms where demons came out of people and people were restored to their right mind. They saw the stilling of the storm, which showed that Jesus was was powerful over the very elements of nature. And they saw him raise people from the dead. They had seen all of that and they didn't put it together that maybe he could feed the 5,000 plus. Beyond that, they just got back from a mission where they had been charged with healing and exercising. And they were giving a a report to Jesus. So presumably they had healed people and they had exercised demons from people. And yet they didn't put it together that it was possible that they themselves might be able to feed the 5,000 plus who were in front of them. They missed seeing what Jesus could do. They saw the need. They told Jesus to send them away rather than saying, because if they had it, if they had the faith, and I'm not, I'm not coming down so hard on them because I understand my own weakness. But don't you think they should have gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, there's a lot of people here and it's nightfall and let's feed them. Let's feed them. Remember that time you raised someone from the dead? It can't be that hard to produce food. That's what they should have said. That would have said something about their growing faith and understanding about who he is. Verse 13, Jesus said to them. There's some humor in this, right? You give them some to eat. You, feed them. I mean, Jesus puts the responsibility right back onto their shoulders. And he is, and we've said this before about Jesus. Jesus is provoking a crisis. He's making them think. It's the kind of thing that a a parent or a teacher might do. A a good parent or a good teacher doesn't just kind of do things for their child or for their student. 
uh, but we'll kind of say, um, hey, let me, let me point you in the right direction here, but I think you can do this, and uh, why don't you go ahead and try it on your own? And that way the child learns how to actually do the thing that you're talking about. Uh, you go ahead and figure that out for yourself, and the child is way ahead when we do that kind of thing, and you see it's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's trying to lead them to say, hey, you know what, you can do this. You can do this. The power of God is available to you. You're one of my apostles. I appointed you. You just did some awesome thing. You can do this. Jesus is training them to be the leaders of the church after he's gone to fulfill the most important mission the world has ever and will ever see. So they said, verse 13, take a look at it. We have no more, we have more than, no more than five loaves and two fish. I brought five loaves and two fish here today. I got five loaves and two fish. If anybody's looking for lunch later, after second service, though, I need these. And that's, now listen, can you agree with me? Just take a look in that tray for a second. Can you, can you agree that that, it's not enough to feed 5,000 plus people, is it? Would we all agree with that? And would we not think that we're probably in the same place as these apostles? And yet Jesus is leading them to understand that they have all they need. He's tapping into, he's wanting them at the very least to tap into, and this is what we too forget, the infinite riches of God that are held for us in eternity. Do we believe that our God is infinitely rich? Do we believe that our God is is infinitely powerful to supply all of these things? And no one is being asked to do more than what God gifts you to do. God will give you the exact measure of the supply that you need to fulfill the needs that are in front of you. Again, this episode, it's not about the apostles. It's not about the 5,000 plus people that are in this desolate place. This, This narrative, this account is about Jesus Christ. It's about who he is. It's what he can do. It's a lesson we need to hear over and over again. Because the apostles on their own cannot feed the people. We on our own cannot meet all the needs. But we can all have faith to believe that Jesus can. Amen? Amen. To believe that Jesus can. And that's the place he wants to get them to. This is the place he wants to get us to. God wants us to use the talents that he's given to us the abilities that we have. To what extent are you leveraging the abilities that you have, the strengths of your character, the passions that you have, the natural abilities that God has given to you? To what extent are you leveraging those things, not for your own benefit, not even for the benefit of other people, but for the benefit of the kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus Christ? Every one of us has been given financial resources. To what extent are you leveraging the resources that God has poured out into your life? To what extent do we understand that it all belongs to God and and, and all that we have is by his grace and mercy? To what extent are we leveraging that for the kingdom of God? What about your time? 
how we're using that for the kingdom, we all have the exact same amount of time. And when you budget it out and look at your week and how much am I giving to this and how much to this and how much, to, how much, how much is going to the kingdom of God, to the proclamation of truth, to the mission that he's entrusted to us. You see, what God wants you to do is bring what you have and to add it to what everyone else has. And that becomes the strength of the church of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit uh, coming over this place and over these people and all of that strength leveraged, all of those talents and all of that time and all of the monetary and financial resources that we have, all of that leveraged for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Bring what you have, add it to what everyone else has. And ask the Father in Jesus' name to do something extraordinary. To give us the power of his Holy Spirit to accomplish great things in his name and for his kingdom. And if you get all of that, if you understand everything right up until that point, then I would just say this. Just do what he says. Just do what he says. It seems to me that when the commands of God are followed by the words, we're going to read in this verse here, and they did so. When the commands of God are followed by the words, and they did so, that good things always happen. Verse 14 and 15. For there were about 5,000 men. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Okay, so now their solution was send the people away. Jesus has not revealed the entire plan. In fact, how much of the plan has he revealed? Zero. None of the plan is revealed. He just says to them, after they say send the people away, he just says to them, have them sit down in groups of 50. That's it. Now, notice their reaction. And they did so. They started going around to these 5,000 plus men and their families and started saying, hey, just get, get, just get together in 50. Just get together in 50. Just make a group of 50 over here and another group of 50 here. And they just moved through the whole crowd and started. They just did what he said. Now sit down. Now, by this time, I think the apostles have come to the realization that their solution has been rejected. They told Jesus, send the people away. Jesus is saying, have them sit down. They're not, in other words, you're not going anywhere. Your idea has been rejected. We're going with a different, a different plan here. Jesus intends to do something else. And I guess the simplest counsel that I can give you uh, is this out of this passage. Um, when God says something, just do it. Just do what he says. Doesn't matter the situation that you're facing. Doesn't matter the dilemma that you're in. It doesn't matter whatever the decision is that you have to make. Let God speak into it and then do what he says. Do exactly what God says. Because of who he is, he's God. You should do what he says and when you do that, Love this little phrase. Blessing follows obedience. Blessing follows obedience. Now, it is astounding to me 
how many of us, those of us who are parents, how many of us as parents invoke this with our children? If you obey, if you do well in this, if you listen to what I say, it will go well for you. Parents here, have you ever used this with your kids? Do the right thing and good things will happen. We say this with our kids all the time. And it astounds me how many parents will invoke that with their children and then forget that God wants to relate to us exactly the same way. That he's saying to us as his children, the father is saying to us, blessing follows obedience. If you do what I say, good things will happen. And we forget. Just do what he says. It's all right here. It's all right here in his word, isn't it? All the counsel we need. Every matter of life and practice right here. Every decision we have to make. God's wisdom applies. All the comfort we need is right here in these pages. All of the challenges to our rebellions are right here. All of the warning shots about the path of... It's all right here. If only we'll listen to God's word. And do what it says. And... And then finally this, be on mission, see the needs, bring what you have, do what he says, and expect the unexpected. Just expect God to work in ways um, that amazes, ways that go uh, beyond the norm, beyond what we could ever do on our own. The reality is nobody's coming up with enough food for 5,000 plus people on the spot, uh, but Jesus can, correct? Uh, But Jesus can. Verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Now, before we get to the miracle that happened after the prayer and during the distribution, I'm not even really sure exactly how 12 apostles distributed five and two Except that he broke it, and I don't know what he did with the fish. Have you ever tried to rip a fish in half? Somehow, in the distribution is where the miracle takes place. But, but even before that takes place, I need us to see that even in the very words that he spoke here, he's invoking, Jesus is invoking, or we would use the word in English class, foreshadowing two other meals that are going to take place. In the very words that he uses here, watch, watch here in the verse, uh, taking, blessing, broke, gave, all the verbs that he uses through here, all the actions that he, that he does here, they point to the Lord's table. They're the exact same words that he uses to inaugurate the Lord's table for us. And in our monthly celebration of the Lord's table, we're using the same words and the same pattern And in this feeding of the 5,000, there's a look forward to the death of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he would make for us, and the, the table that we sit at monthly to remember all that Jesus did for us. The table we'll sit at until the day when he returns, and that takes us to the second meal, the Messianic banquet, or what Revelation 19 calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where's my invitation, right? I'm ready for that one. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are invited to that table. And you will be part of it at the end of the age. A table we yet anticipate. And all of it 
foreshadowed here in the feeding of the 5,000. It foreshadows his death on the cross. It foreshadows his glorious return and his future glory. And we are those who are saved in line to enjoy the blessing of communion now and the blessing of that great banquet in the future in eternity. And for sinners, for sinners, this ought to be seen as an unexpected blessing flowing out of his mercy and grace toward us. And none of us should ever think that we deserve it or we've done anything to earn it. It comes as a gift to us and it ought to overwhelm us to think about it. And when you're in prayer, when you're reading the scriptures, are you overwhelmed by it? By what Jesus says, do your pray, are your prayers often filled with, God, thank you, I, I can't thank you enough for what you've done for me? Notice verse 17, look down at the text. And they all ate and were satisfied, and this is always God's heart for us. That we would eat and we would be satisfied in every way. Verse 17 continues, and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. I joke with our staff all the time. Whenever we plan anything with food, doesn't matter if it's just like donuts and muffins for something or some meeting we're having. I just tell them, everyone gets as many muffins as they want, and there's 12 baskets left over at the end. This is the biblical mandate for how to order food for church functions, all right? always we've all been to potlucks where all was left everything was gone and all that was left was macaroni salad that is unbiblical 12 baskets left over at the end god is a god of abundance amen when god provides he provides in abundance am i right but god is a god who pours it out in our lives and you'll always have you'll always have listen to me you'll always have all that you need and often more than enough because that is the God we serve. It's just who he is. Now listen, I just feel like we need to close in a big way. And uh, the good news is, you want to hear the good news? The good news is the 12 baskets of leftovers have been found. And our Harvest Kids grade 4, 5 class are coming right now to distribute the loaves and the fishes all nicely prepared for you by Pepperidge Farms. So come on, grade five, six, let's uh, get these out here. Let's be reminded of who our God is, how great he is, and what our obligations are before him. Let's stand up and worship him right now. You guys go ahead and start handing those out. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.